Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, his church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. There's a, a lot of different ways that people define sin. There's a lot of stuff that we throw under the umbrella of sin. But when you break down sin, what you find ultimately is a violation of relationship. That was Addison Bevere to welcome you to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Hi, I'm Paul Perone. Okay, maybe welcome is not the word you think of when you hear the term sin. It's not used often in common culture. We'll hear from Addison on the show, but first, Gabe... There's something coming up in just a few weeks that we want everyone to know about. We want to be a type of organization that for you is providing some pretty unchanging guidance in the midst of tumultuous change. And one of the ways we do that is through our events and our gatherings. And I want to let you know, if you haven't heard yet, that we've decided to do a gathering November 11th and 12th, the week after the election, right here in Nashville, Tennessee, where we're going to have 300 leaders participating in person in a conversation called Q&A. It's essentially a roundtable coming after the election to look ahead at the next six months and to say, what are the key issues? We have eight different topics that we're going to address together. And it's going to be everything from mental health and suicide to censorship and conspiracies and everything in between. Because we know as pastors, you're navigating very difficult waters. You're trying to lead people who have very different opinions, and they all have opinions, and they tell you many of them. And so we know how hard that can be. And so we want you to come together with others who are trying to lead in this kind of an environment. We want you to be informed. So we've got experts like Matt Chandler that's going to be a part of this, Christine Kane. We have Jenny Allen coming in from If Gathering, Kurt Thompson helping us with mental health, David Bailey, and so many others who are going to really help us talk about these issues. It's going to be very different than any Q event we've ever done, because usually we just give nine-minute talks, 18-minute talks. There's panels. We decided for this there's no talks. This is 100% conversations, which means we will have these experts and one topic that we will talk about for over an hour. We'll have an interview conversation on stage, but then we open it up to you in the room so you can ask your questions and you can get their direct feedback on how you're struggling with a particular topic or issue. So learn more about that by going to qideas.org slash QA. So just simply slash QA after qideas.org and you can see all about who's going to be there, what this is going to be like. And I would just urge you, go ahead and register now because we have very limited space because of social distancing and wanting to do this in a way that's physically safe for everybody. So register now, bring a friend. If you, if you have a pastor who's never been to anything we've done, this is going to be something for them to enjoy and participate in. So check that out. The second thing I want to tell you about is the conversation we're having today, because it's on a topic that's just often not talked about in public life anymore. And it's the topic of sin, right? This is a word we talk about in church a lot. And it's something, though, culturally that this word has become a pretty bad word, because anytime you claim anything is sin, it feels judgmental. It feels like we're telling people that they're doing something wrong and they need to stop. And in this particular culture, that is not as welcome as it once was. And so today we're going to listen to a nine-minute talk given by Addison Bevere. He's the author of a book called Saints becoming more than Christians. He's also the COO of Messenger International. It's an organization that impacts millions of people 
over 150 countries. He's a young leader, and he's somebody whose book, Saints, really impacted me. And he had this particular chapter on sin, where he really unpacks sin and how do we think about sin today. So let's listen in now as he describes for us sin's insidious nature. The other day I was talking to my son and I told him that I was sharing on sin. And he looked at me, he's like, Dad, why are you talking about sin? Nobody wants to talk about sin. And I think I think he's onto something. I think it's true. I think it's one of those words that we try to avoid. It's one of those concepts that have become taboo in the church. But the reality is every single gospel opens within the, the first few chapters with this idea of Jesus saving us from our sins. So I think we should explore what that means for our lives today. I want to start by going to John chapter 8. In this chapter, we find a very familiar story. We find the story of the woman caught in adultery. And if, when we come on the scene, the religious leaders, they have dragged this woman and they've thrown her at the feet of Jesus. And they're like, hey, so the law, so Moses would tell us to stone this woman. What do you say we should do? And they're, they're picking up their stones. Their hearts are racing. They're like, we finally caught him. The world's going to see that he's a weakling. He's just about free bread and smiles. They're like we've trapped him with a, with a matter of substance. And Jesus doesn't even respond. He just remains quiet. He remains in the dirt. And then after a few minutes of their pestering him, he finally says, let, let he is without sin throw the first stone. And they're like, shoot. We thought we had them. And all of a sudden they start dropping their stones, the oldest first down to the youngest, and they leave. And Jesus finds himself alone with the woman. And Jesus looks at the woman. And he says, so, hey, where are your accusers? Who would condemn you? And she says, they're gone. No one's here. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And there's three things I want to pull from this story that I think are very important for us to realize. Number one, Jesus wasn't afraid to call sin, sin. He wasn't afraid to recognize sin in the life of the woman or in the lives of her accusers. Number two, Jesus saved her from sin's penalty. This is a beautiful image of what God does for all of us. God crossed the chasm. He crossed the divide between his divinity and our humanity by becoming the bridge. He came as a man. He died for our sins. He took on the penalty of our sins. I love what we find in 2 Corinthians 5.21, the fact that he became sin so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. This is so beautiful, so wonderful, such a, such a glorious picture of love, right? And so that's the second part of it is he saved the woman from the penalty of sin. But he also did something else. He saved her from sin's power. And I think this is the one that we may have a hard time with. We can keep this idea of God saves us from sin's penalty at arm's length. But when we recognize and acknowledge that God saves us from sin's power, it becomes deeply personal, deeply intimate to who we are, deeply a part of our everyday lives, every aspect, every facet of our being. And before we go any further, I want to define sin. There's a, a lot of different ways that people define sin. There's a lot of stuff that we throw under the umbrella of sin. But when you break down sin, what you find ultimately is a violation of relationship, a violation of relationship. First and foremost, our relationship with God. Secondly, our relationship with ourselves. And third, our relationship with others. So if everything meaningful in life happens in the context of relationship, which it does, if God's kingdom advances at the intersection of relationship, which it does, it makes sense for God to not just save us from sin's penalty, but to also save us from sin's power. And if we think about it, the cross really is the ultimate act of relationship. And that makes sense because sin is a violation of relationship. So only an, a radical, beautiful act of relationship could save us from our sins. And when we just look at our lives as 
something to be managed. Our shortcomings, our, our brokenness is something to be managed. In the meantime, we deny ourselves the power that God has offered to us to become his ambassadors, to show love, to show goodness, to show righteousness to this world. See, it's not about us being delivered from sin's power so we can look down our noses at other people, so we can become like the Pharisees just waiting to throw stones at people. It's about us realizing what we have in Christ to overcome sin's power because there is a real world out there that needs to see the gospel animated in our lives. We have made the gospel message so individualistic, so much about us individually. It's my father who is in heaven. It's my salvation. It's my condemnation, free living in the present. It's my ticket out of hell. But no, when we look at the gospel, we find if we want to find life, we should lay down our lives. We find that it is our father who is in heaven. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. This view of the gospel requires us to look beyond ourselves. And by looking beyond ourselves, we find a mission that gives purpose and context and meaning to our everyday individual lives. See, God created us all for a purpose. He's given us all this ministry of reconciliation. As Paul says in the two verses before 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he says, we are his ambassadors of this ministry of reconciliation. As John writes in John 13, the world will know you by your love for one another. See, how we live matters, not so that we can bolster and feed the elitism that's so ugly in religion, but so that we can do life well in the context and at the intersection of relationship. See, God has always been about relationship. The covenants, those are about relationship. The story of Israel, that's about relationship. The what he modeled when he was on the earth with his disciples and what he invites us into, it's all about relationship. And when we view the gospel as transactional, when we view the cross as transactional, hey, we were freed from this penalty and that's about it. We keep it at arm's length. We forget that it is ultimately and always about relationship. And we've been invited into this story of reconciliation, redemption, restoration for the purpose of relationship. There's a new way to see this world. There's a way to see the people around us that allows us to see all of this in the beauty and the enormity of God's kingdom. But it's going to require us to acknowledge that we do not have eyes to see things as they truly are. A couple years ago, I had a cataract surgery. And for those of you who don't know what a cataract is, it's a fog that people develop behind their lens. And what, what the doctor has to do is go and actually cut out the, the, the fogged lens and put in an artificial lens. Well, I've had this cataract my whole life. And so they went in and, and they cut it out. And after the surgery, uh, my vision was tested and everything was still blurry. It was still like I was seeing through a fog lens. So they ended up having to do another three procedures to, to try to fix my eye. And after the fourth procedure, it was four procedures in like four weeks. I'm sitting there with the surgeon. I'm like, Doc, what is going on? Why can't I see clearly? And he looked at me and he said, Addison, I can't make your eye any more clear. It's like, there's nothing more I can do. He said, your brain is still convinced that you're seeing through a fog. And I think we as the children of God, we who possess and steward the wonderful mystery of new creation, I think we've settled for bits and pieces. I don't think we've really leaned into the wonder of what it is to be saved from sin's power and sin's penalty. See, the same grace and faith that save us from sin's power, save us from sin's penalty. It's the same thing. It's not like we're saved from sin's penalty, and then we have to muster up the strength to rid ourselves from sin's power. No, it's simply about laying down our opinion of ourselves at the cross, saying, God, I don't get it. 
I don't see how you can see me the way you see me. I don't see how you can speak these things over me the way you do. But I believe that you have called me into a beautiful mission. And so I repent of my smallness. I repent of my small thinking. And I ask that you would give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive and understand. There's a reason why this idea of the renewing of the mind is all throughout the New Testament. See, we have this implanted word. We have this wonderful new gift. The question is, are we going to continue to live within sin's smallness? Are we going to say, God, I believe that you have saved me from hell and you have also saved me from the hell that my sins create here and now. I believe that your grace is sufficient to save me from anything and everything that this life throws at me. And in those moments of brokenness, in those moments of weakness, as I lean into your grace, you prove yourself strong. Y'all, the one who died for our sins, he now offers us death to sin's penalty and sin's power. I don't know about you, but give me the liberty that comes with such a death. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, and you just heard a talk from this past spring's Q2020 Virtual Summit by Addison Bevere. What an interesting perspective on sin, the breaking of relationship. And Gabe, really taking in what Jesus did to solve the problem of sin. I think just his general sense that, look, we're not just saved from sin's power, but also its penalty. And letting that just kind of settle in on us today, to just understand how much the price that was paid, what it was for, so much bigger than many times we even consider or think about. And so what I love about Addison is he just challenges us. He wants us to live in freedom. He wants to see ourselves as more than just Christians. His book, Saints Becoming More Than Christians, is a great book. I'd highly recommend it. Yeah, I got to agree. My wife and I read through that book. It was truly powerful. In fact, several months ago, before COVID, you and your wife, Rebecca, sat down with Addison to talk about the book Saints on the Rhythms for Life podcast, an exclusive feature on the Q Media platform at QIdeas.org. And since we have some time, let's listen to a portion of that conversation. A lot of times when I was growing up in the church, I really did feel like the outward performance of what it, if as long as I looked like I was obeying the rules and, and everyone was happy with me, then I somehow found favor with the adults in my life, but also found favor with God. And so I kind of compared those as one and the same. And yet really, as I grew in my faith and started to find the depths of my depression and anxiety about a decade ago, panic disorder, I felt the kindness of God so near in the middle of probably the darkest days that I had ever walked through. And and part of that, I do think, is this idea of when we walk through something hard, we feel like we might just see the rejection of God, but actually that's that's when he's pulling us close. And this idea of the sin is what separates us from God. And yet this honest account of like, hey, I'm, I'm hanging by a thread right now. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, right? Like this idea right. of like, is there a God out there? Does he care? Might I be willing to invite him into my pain? And when and I've talked to so many people outside, even in this conversation of mental health, all of a sudden you're almost like your radar goes up a little bit about God. Your antenna is like, okay, I didn't like the God I knew of my upbringing because it felt rejecting and condemning. But right now I actually am walking through something so painful and I need to feel something near and I'm willing to maybe step that direction. Is that what you're finding as you talk about this? Absolutely. I mean, so many people have this idea of God as someone who's just hanging out in the clouds, waiting to throw a lightning bolt at them if they make a mistake. 
a punitive God, a God who's looking for a reason to reject them. But the reality is that God is so near to us. He's intimate in our pain. He's intimate in our brokenness. And so sin, it doesn't so much like separate us from God. It more so separates us from an awareness of God Mm -hmm. because God is always near us. He's moving in us. He's working through us. Like he's God. He's everywhere. He energizes everything. So, but what sin does is it distorts perception. It unmakes us. It it causes us to lose sight of who he is, which causes us to lose sight of who we are. And that's why God did what he did in becoming a man to save us from our sins, ultimately for the purpose of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I know as Christians, we really believe there's a spiritual element happening in the universe, that it's not just us sitting here in flesh and blood, that there's these principalities, there's a spirit world, it's constantly operating. And from the evil side, it is operating against you. It's trying to bring you to your worst place. It's trying to break you down. Yeah. It's trying to kill you, destroy you. I mean, scripture talks about this, that the enemy's out to destroy. And I know he wants to break relationship. He wants to put us in these places where we feel a lot of shame. He wants us to be in places where we start to rely on going towards addiction and other things to try to fulfill something that we know only God can can really fill. And so I love that we're talking about it because sometimes in this mental health space, that's a hard thing to talk about because psychiatrists may not come at it that way. It, it, you know, I was talking to a leader this past week who just recently in a church, he's speaking about this to his church members. And he had several doctors come up afterwards and say, thank you for talking about the spiritual element wow. because we can only go so far in our practice to talk about some things and to try to help people. But you're getting to some of the roots that they believe are, are at work today. Yeah. And that's the core, right? I think science and faith has to come together in this conversation. God made our bodies. He knows what we need and he uses all means necessary for he our does. healing. And yeah, they're pragmatic, practical ways that we restore our like energy and eat food for fuel and, you know, raise the serotonin levels through working out. Duh. But still we need God, right? Like yes. we need to understand that he actually cares about all those little details in our mind, in our souls, in our relationships. And I'm so, so thankful that you're talking about this because one thing we have learned in this this space, this kind of area of emotional wellness or well-being is that we studied, uh, did a study on Twitter over the last three years, over a billion tweets. What is the conversation, the global conversation that everyone is having? And the, the first one outside of politics and sports, of course, because, you know, <laughs> it's hard to go bigger than that. But the, the number one conversation is well-being. Yeah. And an aspect of that in that category is DIY spirituality, because people are just so hungry for something, something that they can can attach to or look toward and Christianity isn't quite cutting it for them. So they're like, I'm just going to DIY this thing, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because what I've seen in people walking around me, they don't seem to have much joy or hope or peace. And if I want world peace, and I may overlook the Prince of Peace because these people who are representing Jesus aren't actually living the way in which I want to live. And you talk in the beginning of the book about the good life, because that can even creep into this, you know, Christian circles of like, here are the three things you need to do to like prosper and success and and figure it out. And yeah. you kind of come, you come right at that. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I actually begin the book, the book, as you mentioned, with the point that the good life isn't something you find, it's someone you become. And the great lie that we've fallen prey to as humanity is we're self-sufficient. Like we can do this outside of God. And that's why you call it the do-it-yourself spirituality. But I think what's happened is people, they've, they've gone to the Christian faith. And they've been presented with an idea of faith, an idea of God that's too small for their big world. Mm. Now, I did not say that faith and God are too small for our world. 
but the picture of God, the picture of faith that's being served to them is too small for the real challenges, everyday life, what, what they're facing at work, with their family, with their friends. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't reconcile the worlds of the secular and the sacred, right? right? So, right. so that's, that's something that we have to realize, like, number one, like we are not self-sufficient only God is. Right. But when we reduce God to a byproduct of our own imagination, of our own comfort zone, it's like God makes us in his image and we return the favor. Like we are putting people in this place where like they can't connect with something bigger than themselves. So they find themselves frustrated. It's like what A.W. Tozer once wrote. He said, a low view of God is a cause of a hundred lesser evils in our world. Mm. I actually think it's the cause of every lesser evil in our world. So when we get worship wrong and worship is about worth, when we get worship wrong, we unmake ourselves. Mm. That's that's the big idea. Wow. In Romans 1, you have Paul's most complete discourse on the gospel message at the beginning where it, like where he starts to show like humanity started to break down. It's all about this idea of worship. And it's, he talks about how we went insane because we didn't know how to worship. And so when we pursue sex stuff and status mm-hmm. as like the big three gods of this world, mm-hmm. if you look at like the good life books, it's like, hey, if you get the magical combination of sex stuff and status, and I'm talking in the church and outside the church, if right. you get that magical combination, you're living the good life. Yeah. But the reality is those are, as we know, those are three great things. Mm-hmm. Like sex stuff and status in and of themselves are not bad, but when they become the pursuit of our lives, they start to unmake us because none of those things are big enough to give us the fulfillment and the meaning that we crave. Well, I, I love what you said about we're serving something too small or they've been served something too small. And one thing Gabe and I feel really convicted about is that the only way faith passes down generation to generation is if the Bible actually can penetrate the the issues that our kids are facing today. Yes. If it if it actually feels approachable, tangible, a resource and a help, it's it's they're navigating new waters. And yeah. and in in essence they're not, but a new expression of those waters of of deception, of sin, of arrogance, of pride. They're just seeing it in a new way, whether it's confusion about a whole host of things that they're walking through in in those years. And we are keep saying like, this faith has to actually make sense for you, for your trial, for your thing that's coming against you. And I love that you're addressing that because we have to be able to hand that down. Because it is big enough. That's the thing. I mean, it has, it has everything that we need, but when we reduce it to something that is within our comfort zone or fits for our agenda, our generation's agenda. And then we get mad when the next generation takes a fresh look at scripture. Then that, that sends a confusing message. And then honestly, we're making an idol in a sense, an idol of our idea of who God is and what his word means for our world. Yeah. That's kind of where religion comes in. You know, the man-made way of doing this thing that's small enough for us to get our head around it, to practice it, to feel good about ourselves. And then you see how Jesus comes in and completely disrupts and kind of flips that system over and says, I'm not into this. This is a true religion. Too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he, he found so much joy in messing with their comfort zones. Yeah. And you said sex, stuff, and status, right? So yeah, I the know, three big S's. Yeah, I like, so, I like the S's. You like that? Cause, <laughs> well, <laughs> Alliteration, <laughs> over, overload. Well, sex, money, and power, I know, yeah. which is the same thing, same right? Same thing. Stuff and status could be money and power. I just like the S's. I like it too. But the, <laughs> those three things, I mean, throughout history, these are the three things Christians have always been countercultural on. Mm-hmm. And in certain moments, like in Western culture, where it's more decadent, we have more stuff, have more distraction. It's easy to get swept into that, even as Christians, because there's some comforts in that. There's some ways to just not oh, have yeah. to think about other things. And 
when you get back to it and realize, hey, historically, the way we move forward as a people and understanding what the good life's about probably is going to go against the way evil tries to advance its agenda. Yes. Telling you those things will actually fulfill when they really leave you completely empty. Yeah. When they're pursued in and of themselves, they leave you empty. It's like, so sex is beautiful within its intended design. It's beautiful. But I, I, I mean, I know people who've had so much quote unquote sex and you would think that they would be satisfied, but they're not. I know people who have so much status, I mean, fame, infamy, but they don't feel seen. I know people with so much stuff, but they don't feel secure. So it's it's one of those things when we make that our pursuit, we realize, no, we were made for bigger things. We were made for greater things. And when we would pursue that greater thing, which is this journey of finding who we are in Christ, this journey of becoming, we see how those those three important things, they become a part of our journey. Yeah. And I, and I think we try to use that as a cautionary tale, even to our teenagers, because Today with Instagram, with the ability to see other people with status, power, money, you kind of realize that it doesn't always fulfill. You can see those stories play out and you're yeah. trying, it's a cautionary tale to them. This isn't necessarily going to end where you think it's going to end. Now, you're like a man's man, I can tell. I mean, you're intense, <laughs> like you're an outdoors guy. But what I loved about reading this book is your poetry, okay? And I know you're you're like, oh you're trying to run. I thought, right. we, ta- I thought we talked about no, that before the show that we weren't going to bring that up. You're trying to run away from the <laughs> mic right now, but but man, you've got a gift here and, and I'm going to ask you to read this because oh my goodness, you wrote this Gabe. poem called Unmade that I think is just really cool. So, so try to get into that place. Act oh, like man. we're not here. Yeah, you're we're a warrior I'm going to have to close, it's all, close it's my good. eyes. It's all good. Yeah. Okay, here we go. I asked them not to do this to me for the record, but here I am doing it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is uh, the poem is unmade shadows and shades, masks and memes. Sameness is kindness. The status quo supreme. There's safety and chaos and rules in between rules that make our lives small, predictable and clean. But the author of life is anything but safe. His love is dangerous, savage, his grace. He desires the false self, that perversion of being. Its death is your gift, your wonders revealing. Don't deny who you are, your true self is calling. The unmaking is now, charades are falling. Nearby there's a dance called life, move toward its rhythm and song. In this cadence of splendor, you'll find you belong. Again, that was just a portion of the conversation Gabe and Rebecca had with Addison Bevere on their Rhythms for Life podcast. And remember, as a Q Media subscriber, that and so much more curated content is available to you. Learn more at qideas.org. And while you're there, again, Gabe, there's information about a great event just a couple of weeks away. And if you're a pastor or church leader, I want to invite you to come experience our new Q&A gathering that's taking place November 11th through 12th. Learn more about that at qideas.org slash QA, and I hope I get to see you soon in just a few weeks. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. 
To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.